following is a message from Trinity Grace Church in San Antonio, Texas. For more information, please visit trinitygracesa.org. Well, if you've been at Trinity Grace over the past few months, then you know that we've been in a sermon series looking at the life of David primarily from the Old Testament books of 1 and 2 Samuel. And the plan really over the coming weeks is to continue with that series, uh, even if we've got to meet online. And today, we're going to be going off the beaten path of our sermon series in some ways by taking a look at a psalm that was written by David himself. So if you've got a copy of God's Word, you can go ahead and turn to Psalm chapter 23. That passage is also printed for you in the worship liturgy that we made available uh, through our website. It's easy to open our Bible and read the Psalms and forget that individual Psalms were written in unique contexts. And so as you read a specific Psalm, it's always a good idea to ask the question, why was this Psalm written? What was happening in the psalmist's life at the time that caused him to write this Psalm? And it's a good question because the Psalms oftentimes act as a commentary on how the writer is processing real-life events at a heart level, how the writer is processing external events internally. And we see this happening in Psalm 23. It's likely one of the most well-known passages of Scripture. It's been used to comfort Christians through the centuries. In fact, the great Baptist preacher Charles Spurgeon called Psalm 23 the Pearl of the Psalms. And we know that it was written by David. But what was the context in which David wrote? Well, most biblical scholars agree that David wrote Psalm 23 during the time that he was fleeing from his son Absalom. And you can actually read that story in your Bible, 2 Samuel chapters 13 through 18. Absalom comes and he displaces his father David from the throne. He drives him from his home, from his city Jerusalem, and he is seeking to kill David, Absalom is. And in the midst of all of this family dysfunction, this betrayal, in the midst of all of these mistakes and fear and loss of control, David writes Psalm 23. David's experiencing turmoil both externally and maybe more internally. He's scared that he might lose his life. He's anxious about what the future holds. He doesn't know if he'll be able to care for himself. And it's in this context we get this psalm. Maybe you can relate with David this morning. It's not a stretch to say that many of us might be fearful or anxious about the future. We're all living in days that bring lots of insecurity Maybe for you this morning, you don't know what your business is going to look like when you get back to normal. Maybe you're scared of what this new virus might do to your friends and your family. Maybe you're anxious as you think about how you're going to make ends meet in the coming weeks and months. Maybe you're overwhelmed with all the noise, like I am, and news that is constantly swirling around us, driving us to more fear and uncertainty. And it's understandable that we're feeling fearful and anxious, especially in times like this. In times like this, we wonder, will I be all right? Will it all work out? When times like this occur, it's natural to wonder, who's going to take care of me? Who can I trust? In Psalm 23, it's a short meditation of just six verses, but it comes and it's answering these questions for us. And so let's see what it has to say. You read along with me. Um, as we look at Psalm 23, beginning in verse 1. 
It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, this is God's Word, and He gives it to us because He loves us, and He wants us to know Him. One of my favorite memories as a dad is teaching my kids how to swim. Years ago, as I was teaching them to swim, one of the things that we did was I would put them on the edge of the pool while I was actually in the water myself and ask them to jump to me. And it was always interesting to see how my kids handled or negotiated this situation. If it was early in our training, they would have floats and goggles on and they would slowly step to the edge of the pool and you could almost see them shaking as they did this. And I would be in the water clapping my hands, inviting them with my arms to jump to me. Come on, I got you. I promise I'm going to catch you. And you know, uh, as well as I, that as a dad, there is no way I was going to let my kids get hurt in that pool. I mean, I was going to catch them and make sure they didn't sink. It wasn't even really that big a deal to me. It was more comical than anything. From my perspective, we were in shallow water. I was in complete control. But it didn't seem that way for my kids. You could tell that jumping into the water was an internal struggle for my kids every time they did it. Maybe you remember that feeling when you were young, the feeling of anxiety and fear as you stared down at the water. Now, my kids aren't able to articulate it, but their little minds were wondering at the time, can I trust you? They were looking at their dad wondering, do you have my best interests at heart? Are you going to let me down? Are you going to let me under the water? Whether we know it or not, these are actually questions that we are implicitly asking God all the time. Even though we may not be able to articulate them, we're asking questions like, can I trust God? Does he really have my best interests at heart? Will he let me down? And we're constantly moving about in life, questioning God's care and provision in lots of different small ways. We wonder if he'll take care of us. We often have a hard time believing that God will care for us best. And as a result, we more often not believe that we've got to take care of ourselves, that it's up to us. But Psalm 23 comes and it reorients us to reality. It reminds us that we're sheep and that we need a shepherd, that we need someone to care for and provide for us. It reminds us that God is a shepherd that can be trusted that we can jump with confidence into His love and into His ability to take care of us. And as we move toward trust in Psalm 23, I want us to look at three things quickly this morning. First, we're going to look at the character of the shepherd, we're going to look at the needs of the sheep, and we're going to look at why the sheep should trust the shepherd. First, let's look at the character of the shepherd. Just last week, my family was out of town for spring break, and while we were away, we had to find someone to house-sit basically stay at our house to care for our pets and make sure that the house was cared for. And as you can imagine, it is risky to ask a person to live in and take care of your house while you're not there. You don't just ask anyone. And so before me and Rachel ask someone to come and house sit, we discuss whether or not that particular person is trustworthy. 
Will they take care of things? Will they be responsible? Will they do what we ask? In short, can we trust them? In order to know whether someone's trustworthy or not, oftentimes what we do is we look at their character, right? Do we know them to be responsible with other things in life? What's their track record? I mean, we want it to be someone we know, someone who's faithful, someone who is willing to do the job. And in many ways, we get a glimpse of God's character in Psalm 23. It begins with one of the most beautiful, comprehensive metaphors in all of Scripture. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And in this verse, the word Lord is used, and it's in all capital letters. If you have it there before you in your Bible, all capital letters, and it stands for the name Yahweh. It's the Old Testament personal name of God. It's not just any God. It's the personal name of the God of the Scriptures. Israel would have known it. In fact, this name is repeated more than 4,000 times in the pages of the Old Testament, and it's a name loaded with meaning and significance for David and for God's people at the time. It refers to God's timelessness on one hand and His self-sufficiency on the other. Go with me here for a minute. On one hand, God is timeless. He is always the same in His character. He is unchanged, and He'll be unchangeable forever. And on the other hand, God's also self-sufficient. He needs no wisdom from anyone else. He needs no power from anyone else. He is not accountable to anyone. He needs no one's help. It's this God, this eternal, majestic, all-powerful God that's described in Psalm 23 by David as a shepherd. And this stands out for a few different reasons. I mean, it's the first time in the Psalms where God is referred to with such an intimate and personal metaphor. Up to this point and in lots of the Psalms, God has been described in more distant ways as a conquering king or a deliverer. Or he's been described with impersonal images like a rock or a shield or a fortress. But here we get an intimate description of this timeless, self-sufficient God. The God who created the world, who created us, the God who holds all things in His hand, the God who is powerful to do whatever He wants, is here described as a shepherd, one who intimately knows His sheep and cares for them. This image of shepherd tells us a lot about who God is. In that agricultural culture, they would have known that a shepherd is faithful. A shepherd had to live with a sheep 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Not only that, the work of a shepherd is lowly work. Being a shepherd in many ways was an unpleasant assignment. It was dirty. It was dangerous as they had to protect from wild animals. It was tiring. Normally, the youngest, least significant member of the family was assigned the task of shepherd. David knows this firsthand. God's character we see, is to be one who tenderly nourishes, guides, and protects his people. He likens himself to a shepherd, one who is faithful. He's willing to engage in the humble task of watching over his sheep. This is the God that we worship, one who's sovereign yet intimate, one who controls all things yet is not scared to get involved in the mess of this world and in the mess of our lives. Have you ever thought of God in that way before? as one who you don't have to clean up for. He is with you in your best and in your worst moments, and He cares for you. 
When you're lonely, he's there beside you. When you're sad, he's there to comfort you. When you're joyful, he is there rejoicing with you. The God of the Bible is one who isn't too good to get involved with the messes that we experience in this world. He's a shepherd who tenderly cares for his sheep. The sheep and the shepherd are bound up with one another. The fact that this psalm explicitly refers to God as a shepherd implicitly means that you and I are sheep. So let's turn and look at the needs of the sheep. About a decade ago, my family and I led a group of college students on a two-month mission trip to Scotland. And while we were there in Scotland, we worked with a local church there uh, to reach out and to bring the good news of the gospel to specific neighborhoods. And we spent about a month and a half in the north part of the country, which is known as the Highlands. And it was beautiful. We had the chance to hike from time to time while we were there as well. And the interesting thing about hiking in Scotland is that sheep still roam free in the Highlands. You see them all over the place. So you have to contend with these sheep while you're hiking in the Highlands of Scotland. And this can be interesting because sheep aren't very smart. In fact, you could make the argument that they're one of the dumbest animals to walk the planet. A few years back, there was a story that uh, made the front page news in the country of Turkey entitled, 400 Sheep Fall Off a Cliff in Turkey. And here's what part of the article said. Hundreds of sheep followed their sheep leader off a cliff in eastern Turkey, plunging to their deaths. 400 sheep fell 45 feet to their deaths in a ravine in Van Province near Iran, but broke the fall of another 1,100 sheep who survived. Shepherds from the nearby village neglected the flock while eating breakfast, leaving the sheep to roam free. The loss to the local farmers was estimated at $74,000. Sheep left to themselves are helpless. They lack everything. Did you notice that the sheep in the psalm that we just read are completely dependent? Look at it. They look to the shepherd for rest. The shepherd restores their souls. They look to the shepherd for guidance, the one who makes them lie down. They look to the shepherd for safety, the one who comforts them with his rod and his staff. They look to the shepherd for provision, the shepherd who leads them beside quiet waters. They need the shepherd both in good times and in bad. Did you notice that as well? In the green pastures and in the valley of death, they need the shepherd. Without the shepherd, sheep are liable to wander away and to hurt themselves. What a picture of our own personal needs and our relationship with God. And you and I are sheep in need of a shepherd. We're dependent creatures. And did you notice in the psalm that the sheep are dependent on their shepherd in both the good times and the bad? I think that stands out. We tend to think that God is present with us in the happy, joyful seasons of life, but when we experience trial or heartache, we believe God's checked out. But what we see in the psalm is that God actually becomes more intimate in the dark seasons of our life. Did you see it? David refers to the shepherd in the third person during the good seasons. Verses 1, 2, and 3, the shepherd's referred to um, as he. But as David enters the storms of life, the scary places, the shadow of death, he refers to God in the second person. It goes from he to you. It's as if the shepherd is pulled alongside David during the journey through the valley of death. God is no longer ahead leading David, but he's pulled beside David to walk with him. 
where David can address them directly. And this is important because it shows us that oftentimes the valley of death is the right path. Just like the green pastures, God hasn't checked out when we're walking through that valley. God gives us valleys, and oftentimes in those valleys, in life's trials, it's then that we tend to find God most present. When we experience a season of sickness or when we find ourselves fearful about the future, when we're so lonely it feels like we've got no one to talk to, it's in those times that God draws near where we can feel His presence right beside us. And just like the sheep, you and I are dependent creatures, but this isn't how we normally live, is it? I mean, we're a group of people who like to think we can take care of things. If there's a problem, we can fix it. But the Bible doesn't let us get away with that. It turns our paradigms of self-sufficiency upside down. It reminds us that we're needy, that we're dependent, that we can't help ourselves. And the fact that we are sheep also means that we need and constantly look for people and things to take care of us and provide for us. It's how we are created. You and I demand security and rest. The problem for you and me is that we often look to things like Uh, we often look to things to provide that security and rest that'll never work, that always let us down. We look to false shepherds all the time. We crave rest, we crave life, we crave safety, and all of those things the good shepherd wants to provide for us, but we look to satisfy those cravings with counterfeit shepherds. Things like prestige or control or comfort or money or approval. And we think, if I just accomplish the next career goal, then I'll have rest. Or if I just get enough people to like me, then I'll experience life. Or if I just earn enough money, then I'll be safe. Man, that shepherd is so fickle. I mean, these are counterfeit shepherds. And they won't satisfy our needs and desires the way that we demand. These shepherds, they all turn their back on us when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death and they leave us alone. There's only one shepherd who can give us true rest, true life, true security, and it's the Lord. Who's your shepherd? We're the sheep that desperately need this good shepherd that Psalm 23 describes. We're dependent, we're needy, we feel it. We're spiritually dumb in many ways and immature. We're liable to wander off and ruin our lives without a proper shepherd. So how do we turn from the lure of false shepherds and turn to the true shepherd to have our many needs met? Well, as creatures, we're prone to wonder, to harm ourselves, to follow harmful shepherds. And what we need is to be rescued. We need to be rescued by someone who is committed to our well-being, by someone who loves us. False shepherds don't really care about us, but the good shepherd, he does. You and I tend to trust those who are committed to us, don't we? I mean, it's natural for us to trust those that care for us. And that's exactly what the good shepherd does. He's committed to us. He cares for us. And the metaphor of shepherd is actually carried through Scripture. And we find it reach a pinnacle in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, where Jesus actually comes and identifies himself as the good shepherd. In John chapter 10, verses 11 through 15, Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. 
and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Look, Jesus is the shepherd who is committed to you, who cares for his sheep. Not only that, but Jesus is a shepherd who pursues and rescues his sheep. We see this in Luke chapter 15, verses 4 to 6. There Jesus tells the story of a shepherd going after a lost sheep, and this is what he says. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my sheep that was lost. Look, brothers and sisters, Jesus is the good shepherd, the embodiment of Psalm 23 the one who lays down his life as a sacrifice to protect and to nourish and to guide his sheep. And it's only as we come to understand and believe that Jesus is our good shepherd, the one who won't let us down, that we'll find what our souls crave and need in days like this, in days that we've experienced this past week, rest and peace and security. You and I can lean our whole weight upon our good shepherd. We can trust him because he has promised to care for us. And he has shown us how far he's willing to go to care for us. He knows us by name. He's come to rescue us by laying down his life for us. And this week, when fear and anxiety creep in, love to encourage us as a church family to remember that we've got a shepherd who walks close beside us and he promises to care for his sheep. Let me pray for us this morning. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for the way that you love us and care for us. Thankful for the way that you guide us, that you give us rest and peace and security. And we pray this morning that you would use your word to encourage our anxious, fearful hearts. That we might look to our good shepherd so that we can find all that we need in these upcoming days. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.